welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Now, if you've listened to a few episodes, you know that I'm all about leadership, which means I'm all about people, which means I'm all about how do people effectively work together to create and thrive in a culture of inclusivity. But sometimes we've got to talk about the things that stand in the way. So in this episode, we call it Bullyproof, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. Enjoy. In a constantly changing world, today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. And I'm delighted to welcome Marilise de Villiers. Now, Marilise and I have met before, but I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Uh, she's a mindset and performance coach, host of Bullyproof, the YouTube channel, and the soon-to-be brand new podcast, and author of Raw, How to Tame the Bully Inside and Out. Marilise, welcome to the Leadership Enigma. Thank you, Adam. It's wonderful to be here today. It's good to see you. And I know we are going to talk about something which is incredibly important, is prevalent, and and I kind of have a sad heart because what we're actually going to talk about is really bullying in the workplace. And so help us understand your journey because, yes, I've just mentioned all the things that you're doing right now, but we've all got a unique professional journey that has brought us to this point. Tell us a little bit about your journey today. So, yes, so I spent about, I would say, the better part of 15 years uh, building a corporate career and always had my eye on the sort of top, top job and, uh, you know, being very ambitious, wanting to get to that partnership because I was working for a big four accounting firm and I always thought that success meant becoming a partner in a big four firm. And um, my journey took a slight detour, you know, when I had my kids, things slowed down a bit. Um, but eventually, after my two boys, um, my career got back on track and I sort of started working in cybersecurity. Um, it was funny because I sort of fell into it um, okay. back in, I think, 2010. I was having a conversation with a colleague and he, um, he basically said to me that, uh, you know, this is not a technology problem. This is a people problem we're trying to solve. And you know, one thing led to the other. And then I started really immersing myself and became a, a behavior change expert in cybersecurity over the last sort of 10 years. And on that journey, things evolved and I ended up working um, for a, a bully. Okay. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, uh, it was a situation where a very charismatic person who gave me a fantastic opportunity to work as a director. And it was very much a, I always say blinded by my ambition. Um, I've, I've sort of fell into this situation. And then over a period of four years, I just slowly but surely deteriorated and became a a, a shadow of my former self. um, Just because he was chipping away at my confidence um, you know, some days the best boss to work for, but more, most days the worst, the worst boss to work for. Um, and things sort of got to a head when um, 
uh, we were in a boardroom and uh, I was with my whole team and, you know, he casually sort of announced that uh, my role has been made redundant. So um, it was a very um, big shock for me. Um, and he didn't quite use those words, but that was, that was what it kind of came down to. And I think that day was the moment when I realised that enough is enough, that I had to really um, take back my power because at that point I had absolutely no, no personal power left. I was, you know, um, getting anxiety attacks every day and just the thought of walking past his office, right. you know, made me very anxious and my mental and my physical health really struggled as a result of it. So shortly after that, I quit. I'm, I moved out of the corporate environment and ended up uh, starting my own business more because of desperation than, you know, really wanting to do it. Because at that point, I couldn't see how I could ever work for someone again. Um, so I started my company and uh, I have been, you know, building my company since. Right. Well, I mean, well, firstly, it's... um. Thank you, because it it is it takes great courage to talk about something which is deeply personal and has maybe had a, a negative effect, but maybe is now a great positive because it's it's spirited you now towards this mission, and, and we're going to talk about that. and And it's it's very much the case, isn't it, that people say that people leave bosses, they don't leave jobs, and it sounds like that's what's happened yeah. to you as well. Well, I absolutely loved my job. I loved my team. I think that was the biggest the biggest choice for me was to leave my team behind because I was always the person who shielded them and protected them. And I always took all the blame on me. So I was very worried about letting them down. So that was one of the main factors why I ended up staying for so many years. Um, and yeah, loving the work. Absolutely loved the work. And... As you tell this story, there may well be people listening who can immediately associate with that kind of experience. Maybe it's not current, it might be historic, but how prevalent is this kind of incident or feeling within the workplace? Do we, do we know? So I did some research for my book. First of all, I call it in my book, I call it the silent epidemic. Right. And I uh, basically go as far as to say, dare I say, silent killer. Um, so when I left my organization, I actually thought that I was the only person that this ever happened to. I didn't think this ever happened to anybody else. Right. Naively. And then, you know, I started having conversations and most of the conversations I had were with very, very senior execs, you know, who... I've had similar experiences and I got really angry. I got to the point where I'm like, this is not right. This is cannot be, this cannot be happening to so many people. And so that's why I ended up deciding to write the book. And, you know, in my, in my research, and I'm just looking to make sure I've got the numbers um, correct. Okay. But 77% of the people actually said they'd either been a target witness bullying or both so that is a staggering number 77 percent yeah it is and i mean that that correlates with the study that uh, dr judy blanso that she did um, in the us uh, which was 75 percent so consistent figures there 77 percent and 75 percent yeah when you talk about the figure of 77 percent um, that was in relation to the research you carried out you said i think this was my research my own research study i did for my book yes 
I mean, so what are the costs of this? Because with every epidemic, there is a, a series of costs. What are the costs? And I don't just mean the financial, I don't just mean pounds and pence and, and dollars. But what are some of the, the personal and the emotional costs that flow from this? Because I think much of this probably goes on beneath the surface, doesn't it? Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the first the first very obvious um, cost there is the loss of productivity. Right. And the, the best example that always uh, springs to mind for me is how um, taxing um, a narcissistic injury, let's call it a narcissistic injury. So, you know, a bully comes and they just literally out of nowhere, out of the blue, from left field, just lash out. And the person on the receiving end then has this incredible neural dissonance happening in their brain and it's a shock. And sometimes it could take days for some of my team members to recover from that shock. Right. And because we've worked in an environment where you've got to do very creative work, lots of creative thinking, it just killed their ability to actually think creatively. So that to me was always the stark example that jumps to mind is how long it took me to get them back on track to actually deliver the quality work that uh, they were supposed to deliver. So that's having a high emotional impact, isn't it, Marilise? Yes, absolutely, yes. And yes. from your experience and from your research, how was that manifesting itself in people? You know, again, not just in uh, uh, productivity going down, but was it also manifesting itself physically with people, emotionally with people? So what, what we see um, is the most of the time is people... People do struggle physically and emotionally. So in my case, I started getting anxiety attacks and it was my body's way. My body's literally begging me to stop. So um, my brain was in my, in my head. I was like, I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to change him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to prove myself. But your body tells you this is enough. I can't cope with this anymore. So the, the stress in my body really damaged, um, just my well-being in, in general because I was gaining weight. Um, I was obviously drinking too much, so using wine as an anesthetic yeah. um, to numb to numb the pain. And I think those are some of the very obvious side effects that many people who are in situations like that um, experience. So your 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 nutrition and your exercise, which are fundamental to your well-being, go out of the window because of the stress and because of the just the constant state of anxiety and panic. Sure. Now, I'm going to deal with this in two ways. I'm going to ask you for your thoughts in relation to someone who might be on the receiving end, but also from a leadership perspective, what is the culture that we need? Um, and and I, I have some experience of this, only because I remember serving as a police officer at Marilise, and having to deal at times with domestic incidents and domestic violence and abuse where there was a bully in the household. And I know how difficult it was for both, by the way, male and female victims of domestic violence to be able to rationalise it, process it, deal with it and take action. So let me start with someone who may be on the receiving end of behaviour, which is bullying behaviour, what do they do? How can they start to take action or start to regain some of their personal power or personal resilience in order to pull away from the situation? Because you did successfully, but you still went through a traumatic period of time. 
What's the advice to people who think they may be suffering on the receiving end of such behaviour? So I always, obviously, it's um, it's a very, comp- I always call it out and say this is a very complicated I can imagine, yes. scenario. This is not something you, um, and it's it's very sometimes, um, as you've rightly said yourself before, the, the behaviour is often not that obvious. So it's a very... It's a gray area. And as human beings, it's in our nature to want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. So when someone is nasty, when someone is rude, you give them the benefit of the doubt because you you expect the best from people. And so and, and it's usually because you're an empath that you're also a target. Not always, but it's you're attracting that kind of behavior because you care for people and they can see how they can actually manipulate you. Right. And so it's, um, it's important to have that awareness. So I think for me, awareness is the end goal, you know? So if, if you know, if you have, um, if you, if you're able to sign, spot the signs of bullying behavior, and this is where you're constantly being demeaned, there's repeated health harming, behavior so this is not just the once off someone's having a bad day this is repeated over a long period of time so I would normally say you 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 think you're dealing with a bully but you've got to establish whether that's true or not okay um and and if it's early days the way to establish that is to have the conversation but it's a very very tricky conversation to have because if you decide it's worth having the conversation, you've got to also prepare yourself for that sort of backlash right. and the potential reaction. So it's a very skilled interaction that I'm describing. And a courageous and one. And a courageous one. Yes, absolutely. And an interaction where you you just do not get the bullies back up. <laughs> um, so if you're not if you're not dealing with a bully, the person will put their hand up and they would acknowledge and if they change their behavior then at least you've had the conversation and you've dealt with it right but when you go into dangerous territory is where you're dealing with a narcissist where you're dealing with a narcissistic bully who knows exactly what they're doing the moment you try and have that conversation they will never ever ever admit that they have any part to play in any sort of situation that you raise. They right. will completely distance themselves from it, completely deny it, completely walk away from it and completely throw it back on you and probably badmouth you in the process. Um, so that's a dangerous route to take, but that's also then where you've got to consult with HR and, and, and make sure that you are having that conversation in a protected environment. So there's two things going on there, Marilise. There's one of is raising the awareness in the person, uh, the other party, and it may well be that they simply haven't been aware of their own behaviour and that could put an end to it. But you're saying in the other example, that's actually when you really need to take advantage of help externally or go and get some help and it's got to be taken further. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And... uh, even that is hard because because the behavior is often so gray <laughs> and it's very hard to prove. So I always say to people, keep a record of every interaction, hold records of everything. As, as soon as you have a slight suspicion of that b- behavior being bullying behavior, 
keep keep recording things, keep holding a record of things because it will um, serve you down the line. Sure. That's the trial lawyer in me. Obviously, there has to be an audit trail and and it's like all these things. If you have to want to prove a side of a case or a side of an argument, there has to be evidence or corroborating evidence in support. Now, I understand entirely. Now, you and I have spoken before about human-centered leadership. It's something that we're both passionate about. And let's look at things from a leader's or an organization's perspective of not being the bully, but people who want to proactively manage a culture where that is very much not something that would take place, if at all, because of the culture. So any thoughts in relation to the leader or leadership responsibility around trying to imbue a culture of inclusivity and a culture of dignity and psychological safety as well? Yes. Yes. I mean, I think the psychological safety is absolutely crucial because if we want people to speak up, if we want people to have the conversation which we've just talked about, there has to be the psychological safety for them to do so. And so if if the culture is slightly toxic or let's not say toxic but if it's if it's more about consequence management people yeah. become afraid to speak up the tone on the tone of the organization the culture of the organization will have a direct impact on whether people actually have that courage to have that brave conversation in the first place so it does really start at the end of the day with leaders and hr functions who are ultimately the custodians of culture right and it's their responsibility to create that safe and inclusive environment, but also dignified environment. So this is where the human-centric piece comes in, because it's about dignity in the workplace and right. treating people with dignity and respect. And I think that's what's so important here. And and your friend of mine, Tracy Graves, who we both know very, very well, is, is doing some work actually on dignity at the moment. And I know I'm going to be connecting with her soon in relation to dignity and humanity it's right at the core actually of humanity so these are these are big themes and as you say what you know organizations need to truly understand is this goes to the heart of productivity as well yes absolutely so you created your book raw which was how to tame the bully inside and out give us a little bit of an overview of of the approach that you took on on that journey Yes, as I say, what made me really angry was realizing how prevalent it is and why I call it a silence epidemic. And so the reason why I decided to write the book in the first place. And when I started writing the book, it was very much about the person who bullied me. Yes. And I was um, not expecting so soon in the creative process to realize the role that I played personally in the dynamic of how that relationship played out. And and that's why the title of the book became Inside and Out, because I realized that I had to take personal responsibility also for the way that I um, allowed, it it sounds really harsh, but allowed bullying to, to, to take place. So what I did early on in the relationship was set boundaries. So I did speak up and I did say, um, you know, this is not, I mean, I didn't do it in the right way. I've realized with the benefit of hindsight, But it was the setting the boundary in the first place and not keeping the boundary, which ultimately uh, threw me. It was never a problem that I could solve. So shortly after I left, um, I started my own personal journey. And first first priority for me was to focus on my health. Um, And I worked with a transformation coach for four months to get my 
health back on track. So, you know, um, lost almost half my body fat, um, (laughs) got into the best shape of my life, uh, mentally and physically, or I'll say physically, not, not so much mentally yet. But it was, it was then that I realized that I had to share my journey with others because this is not just about um, recovering. This is about going beyond. This is about living your best life. So my book became my personal story of how I transformed my life, but also wanting to help other people live their best life. And so the the second part of the book, so the first part of the book is calling out workplace bullying and, you know, understanding the toxic trio, which is the bully, the victim and the organizational culture. And that's, I'm I'm always saying a bully can't bully without a a victim and a culture that allows the bullying to happen in the first place. Right. And then I, and then I sort of start the first part of the book, uh, finish, I should say, the first part of the book with taking action, encouraging people to take action. And then the whole second part of the book from chapters four onward is all about living your best life and how you can make your best life a reality. And and that's how I came up with my framework, um, which is really about um, finding your raw. (laughs) Raw raw is also a four-step process for having a difficult conversation. Okay. Um, Yes. And, And the four components of my framework is really about finding your authentic purpose. Yes. It's about winning the inner game. So this is all about your thoughts and your feelings and being in control of your thoughts and your feelings. And then also winning the outer game, which is being in control of your words and your actions. And ultimately, you know, finding your finding your role. So those are sort of the four components of, of the framework. Now I I have to accept that we are just not even scratching the surface on what is an incredibly difficult topic, but important topic. So one of the things I wanted to ask was how can people get in contact with you? Because this has become really a a mission and a purpose for you. And because you've been through it, you are able to help other people through it and for other people to understand that they're not alone. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges, certainly in the work that I did within law enforcement. I think sometimes there was, it's happening to me and no one else. And I don't know who to talk to and I don't know where to turn. So how can people get in contact with you? Because you're now doing so much. The book, the YouTube channel, the podcast, which is which is being released. Tell people how they can get hold of you. So I'm very active on LinkedIn, Marilise de Villiers. My website is uh, marilise-de-villiers.com. So right. you can visit my website or you can send me an email, marilise at marilise-de-villiers.com. Um, yeah, or you can um, you can buy the book on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's it would be lovely. You know, I'd, I'd love to help anybody that's going through a tough tough time. And it's it as you say, it is my mission in life because I want to help, especially women, um, especially women in um, sort of mid middle management positions, um, get to that sort of executive positions in organisations. Because yes. I see so many women leave at that sort of middle point in their career and and i'd love to see more women in the boardroom and right. so that's my that's my close passion <laughs> no and, and you know i i understand it where you know my wife is is a lawyer and i remember when we we had our children it was that middle part of her career which suddenly becomes interrupted and so it's always a challenge isn't it about getting that the momentum back L- listen i hope this episode who knows there may well be a listener who 
wants to get some advice and help and guidance and they can turn to you for that. And from a leader and leadership perspective, it's about absolutely incumbent on us to be the custodians of a positive culture, a culture of inclusivity, a culture of dignity, because with that, everybody is included and we can actually create a context for all to thrive. It's It sounds easy to say, doesn't it? But it's not happening everywhere. And I think that's the point we're making. Yeah. I think the biggest the biggest thing leaders can do is to to be a human and to recognize that that we don't have all the answers um, to raise our hands and to say to people in our organizations help me figure this out let's figure this out together and let, let's allow everybody to take personal responsibility um, because it's it's really important at the end of the day where people feel like they have skin in the game yeah and it's a very challenging environment. I'm describing a very high-performing environment, but I'm also describing a supporting environment. So you have high challenge and high support in equal measure. And so I've, I'm going to I'm going to ask you this final question, but I'm going to change it. I, I have asked many of my guests, what would be your best advice to a 21-year-old Marilise? But I'm not going to ask it. I'm going to ask a slightly different question. Take into account the situation that you've been through and you've come out the other side and now what you're focusing on what would be your best advice to yourself at the point that you realized you were in a, a losing bullying situation what would be the advice you would give yourself now having come out the other side i would have walked away a lot sooner probably two years prior what would it have taken for you to have done that do you think what would have been the what would have been the change for you to have done exactly that? Just walked. It would have meant that I I would have to, and and this is going to sound really woolly, but love myself, be kind yeah. to myself, and uh, be be dignified towards myself, have that own dignity for self, um, because I didn't have that. I was my own biggest bully, and that's why I carried on for so long. And I always say to people. Turn your thoughts and your feelings and your words and your actions into your four superpowers because right. those are the only four things you can ever control in your life. Say you those again for me. Control. Say those again because I think that's really interesting so and people will... You have to turn your thoughts and your feelings and your words and your actions into your four superpowers because those are the only four things that you can ever control. Well, on that note, I think and I hope people will be contacting you for very positive reasons in relation to how they can continue to create that inclusive and dignified culture in order for people to thrive. Thank you so much for joining the Leadership Enigma. I know that you and I will be connecting again and continuing the conversation on a number of fronts, but I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.